in three, two, one. Raising our game as communicators is the best way to make a difference in our careers and relationships. But it takes courage to find our voice, open up, and invite others to open up to us. Improved communication requires taking smart risks to question our beliefs, take a leap of faith, and build our bravery to make a greater impact in our personal relationships. To help us learn to communicate with courage and overcome the four hidden challenges is communication coach Michelle Gladio. Well, hi, Michelle. Welcome to the program. We're delighted to have you. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on board and congratulations on your book, Communicate with Courage, Taking Risks to Overcome the Four Hidden Challenges, which we're going to dive into and really excited about the topic. I did have a chance to read the book and really great stuff there. A lot of detail, a lot of meat and potatoes, things that are practical, just the way you've designed the book. I think you call it the bones of the book, but you've got exercises in there. You've got strategies in there. You've got tactics, your pro tips. We're going to uncover and unpack some of those things in today's session. So I'm really excited about that. But let's start with how did Michelle get to where Michelle is today? So you were back in school and university. I know you're a graduate of master's program. How did you evolve to where, hey, this is what I'm going to do for my living. And I'm going to get in and talk about communication and the courage to communicate the way we should. Sure. Well, we're all standing on other shoulders, right? And so um, the first shoulders that I stood on were definitely parents and big brothers. And my mom was really instrumental in making time to take me aside and talk to me about how communication is important and how we have to monitor how it's received and how we deliver it and what we should expect from others delivering communication to us. So I will forever be indebted to her, Rosemary Gladio, and I dedicated the book to her and to my significant other, Dan. And then I was 17 and I left Fort Wayne, Indiana to go to school in West Lafayette at Purdue University and was lucky to find a counselor who said, I see here that you really love business, kind of nerdy president of the business club in high school. You really love psychology. I was taking a couple psych classes at the local Purdue campus. Which are you going to pursue? And I said, I just wish there was some way to pursue both. I can't choose. And he said to young me, have you heard of organizational psychology? And I sort of knew when I heard those two words blended together that that was my vocation. Since then, I started right away as a young freshman studying human behavior at work and communication and how it affects our personal and professional lives. And I just think it's worthy of a lifetime of study, I guess, Michael. Well, and I think it is from a teacher and an educator point of view, but also from a student point of view, it's always changing. I've always been a student of the communication process and I love all the new things I learned and it's evolving. So how our intelligence evolving and we'll dive into that. Now your book's actually called Communicate with Courage. So let's start there. Why does communication even require courage? Well, I suppose it doesn't if you're willing to just go along to get along and show up in the most minimalist way possible as you give and receive information and listen to others. But I think there's a world beyond satisficing communication. And I wrote the book to try to inspire folks and also equip them with some easy to use pro moves, I call them, some tools that help us show up as our authentic self, but also always striving towards our best self in interactions. And that's when courage comes into play. You will face fear if you are trying something new as a communicator. Simple example, I coach a lot of folks who do presentations for the first time or are trying to get back to it after deciding public speaking is not for them. And fear shows up in all kinds of interesting ways, stuff we carry in from childhood, 
stuff that past supervisors or coworkers or significant others have said to us. And we really have to get that head trash out of the way and focus on effective, brave methods of communication so we can be heard while we're here. And I'm interested in courage because it has served me well. And I was always a kid who sort of hid behind my parents' legs. I remember being three and four and someone would say, well, hello there, little Michelle. And I would just want to hide. And I think a lot of us still feel that way as adults. So how can we show up? Where do we get courage? And of course, unfortunately, nobody can gift it to us. Nobody can give it to us. We can have guides to help us find it, but we pull it up from within, from our very soul. We decide fear will not win the day. I may fail. My hands might shake. My face might turn red. I might stutter. I might lose my place, but darn it, I'm going to give it a shot. And every time we do that, it's like my personal trainer, Kevin says about trying to get stronger in a muscular way. Right. Every little bit you do adds up. And then when you need that muscle later, it's there to stabilize you. A good analogy too, with exercise and working out, you wonder where the fear starts with in the first place. Now I've watched my children grow up and they're all fairly articulate. Our family's good communicators. They have no trouble saying exactly what they're thinking. Sometimes <laughs> the, the filters need to be there too, but we're all guilty of that one. Where does the fear come from in the first place? Because everyone's going to be at a different level. Your mom, she had pro tip. She was an author. She was a poet. You had good mentors, right? But what about the people who don't have mentors? You came at a very good starting point and you had a good coach, right? It's got, right? But let's right. say I don't have that mentor. Maybe I come from mm-hmm. a, I'm an immigrant. Maybe I'm just learning the language. Maybe I'm shy. Maybe I'm not confident. Maybe I was in different home circumstance. How does this help me? Sure. And I do provide those tips in the book. And I do recognize my privilege that I had parents who were interested in education and in developing self-esteem in me. And I did not realize until later years of my life that that's not something that everyone had. So two tips come to mind. And the first is wherever we are as communicators, we can begin to watch the quality of our self-talk and question it when it is unfair or unkind, or perhaps untrue. I've been taking some mindfulness courses lately with a friend of mine, Dr. John Walker, and he offers these online mindfulness courses. And he had us do an exercise where we thought about a friend who was down, who had failed at something and was having a hard time with it. And quickly we were to write, what would we say to this person? And I had all these things like, you are a wonderful human being. Think about all the successes that you have already created for yourself. And there's no need to be this hard on yourself. I love you. Others love you. It's inspiring to see people get back up after they fail. This isn't going to keep you down. It was sincere and it was immediate. And then he said, now I'm going to ask you to put yourself in that place. And you've really screwed up in the same way. What do you say to yourself? And immediately I wrote, get your shit together. And I thought, whoa, that is different. And that is what I say. So I didn't even know how I was speaking to myself. So our listeners can take a look at what they say to themselves. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't look at ourselves courageously and seek weaknesses to overcome. I'm saying it helps us begin to go take risks in the arena of communication if we know that we're going to forgive ourselves for any flubs. And, you know, Michael, both you and I have been traveling and teaching and speaking a long time. And I bet you would agree with me that I've never done a public appearance where I don't leave that session, fly home or drive away and think, oh, I can't believe I forgot to tell them this. Why did or I, do that? I should have yep. handled that disruptive audience member differently. Or I wish I would have made that example more inclusive. There's always something. And right. so after thousands of these presentations and opportunities to coach or communicate, now I just know I'm going to aim for five things and I'm going to hit three. And the next day comes and maybe I shine 
maybe I polish up my style a little better. So let's look at the quality of our self-talk and we can cross out any hateful, unkind or untrue things we're saying to ourselves and look at the tone that we use. Right. And another thing we can do, regardless of whether we had role models from a young age, is we can enlist a confidant, a friend, a coworker we trust, a boss or family member and say, I listen to this podcast or I've read this book and I think 2023 or the year that you're experiencing this podcast, this is the year that I'm going to work on becoming a better communicator. So I'd like for you to tell me something you think I do well already and something that I could sometimes do better. Good question. Or if you go to the family gathering and you know that the sit down dinner might be a little tense. And so you engage a uh, confidant there and say, on the drive home, I want you to watch me. I'm really going to try not to let this person get my goat. I'm going to try to be direct, but kind. If I have to be uh, direct, I'm going to try to add some kindness. And I just want you to give me some feedback when we get out of there, please. And just having somebody on the inside watching you as a communicator and sharing what they see, which might be incorrect, correct. We don't know, but it's another perspective. That's a great way to grow daily. I think of it like I'm stuck in here looking out at you. I don't know how you perceive me unless I'm brave enough to ask. That's right. Well, and you say that how we think in the book, you talk about how we think and come across and how others perceive us are two different things. So how can we see ourselves more clearly as communicators or presenters? We would always ask for feedback at the end of a communication, especially if it's a formal event where we can get away with sending a survey online or we can hand out, we like to hand out a one-page audience feedback response form. And we just ask them a few simple questions that take maybe four minutes. What was the best thing we covered today? What do you wish we would have covered that we didn't? What goals or what actions will you take as a result of this training? And finally, how could it have been a better experience for you? Thanks for participating. And then of course, I read thousands of those every year. And I, like everyone listening to this podcast, I can make the changes I want, whether it's formal or informal feedback I'm receiving. And I can choose to pass on some of them. Right. One that I pass on regularly is we teach a lot of leveraging diversity, inclusion, harassment prevention sometimes. And most recently, or somewhat recently, to 375 police officers in my hometown who attended mandatorily. Challenge as a presenter, right? And I think one of the smartest things we did, Michael, was add an extra hour of stress management strategies just as a gift sort of thing, because honestly... You're not going to be really fair as a communicator if you're really stressed. So anything we can do to bring stress down in difficult vocations. Anyway, so in these evaluations, some folks will say, I wish there was more role playing. This was a great three hour seminar, but I wanted to do more role playing. Honestly, in harassment prevention courses, I don't want to do more role playing. I don't want to have one coworker pretend to harass another. I see that that could go really sideways. So as an example, when we ask for feedback, we don't have to use it, but we have to consider it. Right. It's interesting. And like you say, even with the police department, that's actually a good example. We've just seen episodes, you know, over the last number of months where we've got incidences throughout the country. I was talking to a detective friend of mine and he said there's over 2 million, 2 to 3 million police interactions a year in the United States with people. And we only have a handful of really nasty cases that come to the light, which are terrible and terrible things. And we've seen recent cases of this where it happens. But again, even de-escalating a situation or if it's emotionally charged um, and in 
environment, you could take two different officers approaching a situation and one of them escalates it to a point where it could have a really tragic ending and the other one might talk with kindness and respect. Mm -hmm. So you get two different outcomes, two different results, all by a different communication style. And that's what you're talking about. It's really looking at feedback, looking at information, use that feedback loop so you're constantly innovating where it's appropriate, where it's appropriate. Speaking on stage, I'll get done. The audience is really happy and I'm walking off and inside my heart, I know I could have done better. It's like golfing. I I can do better next time. And right, it's figuring out what works. Plus it's evolving. Like I find as a communicator, it was easy for me. It was natural for me. I was always a kid in school, wanted to read first or read out. And I don't know why that was just innate. Maybe it was for attention. You know, I was always in theater. I was always in the- It's your gift. It's your natural gift. It's what you're here to do. And it's what you're here doing and helping others. Yeah. And I enjoy that part, but I also know what it's like to have to evolve things. For instance, because we're still busy talking to audiences, I learned all the pronouns with DEI being an issue. And but how do those- How do those pronouns apply and try and educate others who go, what happened to just he or she? What happened to all these possibilities? And I don't understand it, but it's intent and impact. And one of my daughters taught me, she said, dad, just because you say it with good intention doesn't mean the impact can't be harmful or hurtful. And so as Mm -hmm. communicators, we have to look at what's our intent, but then what's the perceived outcome? We all have blind spots, right? And Mm -hmm. that's what you're saying. Get that feedback or have mentors so that they see us and give us the necessary feedback so we can adjust course in our communication. Yeah. Or to be honest, the book is also set up so that if you are not asking someone else, the descriptors of each of these four hidden challenges are pretty clear. It would require bravery to look at the book and then determine if any of these four hidden challenges, which are obstacles for you right now, on my own team, I've had coworkers say, all right, I read the book and I think all four, am I really messed up? No, but don't try to overcome all four at once. Pick one, maybe for this quarter or this year, or this month, and just with self-love and acceptance that you won't be perfect, begin to look for where are those situations that trigger you and you fall into this habit of thinking or behaving and you want to show up as a better communicator in the world in that area. So an example would be like you, Michael, I'm very talkative, very extroverted, and it's very hard for me to listen when someone is saying something that I find offensive or biased. Yeah. Not that I don't have my own biases. Right. But I'm also expressive, emotive. And so I feel a lot of emotion and I've got words on the ready. What I'm trying to do these days is literally maybe count to myself one, 1,000, two, 1,000. Still focusing if they're speaking, but just thinking to myself, how about we get two breaths here, Michelle, self-talk before we respond. And it is like, I can't, I can't describe it. It's such a hard task for me that I feel it like every cell in my body wants to interrupt the person who is wrong. Well, it's that need to be right. And you talk about that, that chapter five, the hidden challenge number two is defining to be right. And I always believe that the need to be right is the birth of the argument in the first place. But what I've learned to do that helps instead of making statements is to ask questions and out of pure curiosity. And that's kind of helped me a little bit. Instead of being judgmental and going, okay, you're an idiot. Why are you thinking this way? By asking questions, instead of saying, making a statement about it, I just go, oh, how did you get there? Tell me, have you always thought that way? Have you always felt? And by inquiring and then listening and actively listening, and that's the tough one for me too, because I want to interrupt. I want to make my point because my point's going to be better than your point. And it's that constant process. So it's a really a learned skill. And I don't think you're born with this. I think we're born with the expression part, but I'm not sure about the listening part or actively listening and how that works. 
This episode is sponsored in part by Rainmaker Digital Solutions, featuring ActiveCampaign. Looking to drive growth with customer experience automation? ActiveCampaign, the number one marketing automation platform for e-commerce, B2C and B2B companies, gives you the email marketing, marketing automation, and CRM tools you need to create incredible customer experiences. ActiveCampaign is the platform we use to reach, nurture, convert, and grow our business, and you can use it to grow yours. You can see why 150,000 plus businesses like yours choose ActiveCampaign to help them grow and become preferred in the markets they serve. You can also start your free trial by visiting our website and clicking on the ActiveCampaign trial link. As a bonus, we'll also give you a digital copy of my book, Becoming Preferred, How to Outsell the Competition. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am a shareholder in the company. And now back to my conversation with Michelle Gladio. Let's start with challenge number two, defining to be right in your book. And then we'll come back to number one, hiding from the risk itself, because I think it's good. So how do we unpack defining to be right? Well, are we quick to judge? So when we're feeling like we're so darn sure... We could work on stop being so darn sure and be more inquisitive. As you said, ask questions about others' experience. And in your case, maybe take them up in the plane with you as an analogy. How can you Mm. share some of your experience and then recognize that they won't match up? I have eight white people and two black people on my team currently. And during some of that harassment prevention, bias prevention training that I was doing, I asked a question I thought I already knew the answer to because I was defining to be right at my company, race does not matter that much. We're all treated with respect and included. So I asked my black employees, is there anything different about coming to work at my company, at our company for you than for me based on race? And our youngest also happens to be a woman, she's a young black woman in her twenties. And she said, oh yes, definitely. And immediately I had to make sure that I was trying not to register surprise on my face, et cetera. And I said, interesting, please tell me more as my stomach turned, right? Yep. Like, why did I ask for this feedback? This was a dumb idea. Yeah. Now I'm going to hear something I can't fix, et cetera. I have and to I change something. something now, yeah. <laughs> I heard something I can't fix. She said, right. well, you know, most of our clients are white. So when I'm working here, what I do is I tend to change the way I talk. So I change my inflection. I change the words that I choose. We're always going to be a professional communication skills company. So we're not talking about any of the 10 of us running around using slang, you know, or ineffective wording or grammar that's incorrect. But she's taking a little bit of who she is. As I'm speaking to you here today, you're really, you're seeing into my soul. You're hearing into my soul. I am who I am. I'm showing up as me. I don't know how I would be someone else and succeed, right? But she's saying she changes how she speaks because the majority of our clients are white. So she's code switches so that she can fit in better with them. And so I've been presenting, I don't know what to do about that necessarily, but when I do teach topics that relate to fairness and inclusion and communication. I just bring that up to the audience and say, can you imagine I'm here today? I'll be teaching for three and a half hours. We have all these great conflict management and giving, receiving feedback, all these wonderful topics to cover. Can you imagine if I was coming in trying to teach and changing how I speak? How effective would I be? I can't even put my head around it. Right. Yet here we have that happening with some people on my own team. Interesting. So I guess it is to overcome defining to be right, be willing to set aside your assumptions and summon the courage to test those assumptions instead of relying on them so much. Good point. There's a world of experience out there that we haven't had. And I think we become truly more emotionally intelligent and courageous as communicators, two things that fit together 
when we're willing to think about how someone else sees it. Gotten a little bit better, finally, finally, at apologies or at just assuming that even if my intention was good, as you've said, your daughter taught you, that doesn't mean that there wasn't a negative impact. So I'm trying to lower my defenses and be willing to hear. And I find that that really comes into good use when I'm coaching executives because they could stand to learn the same. Oh, big time. Where there is great power. We were talking about the police also. Where there's great power, there's responsibility. Well, and you talk about that too in your book about leaders and working with organizations of 50 to 500 to 5,000. And you talk about leaders and how it comes from the top down. So if I'm a leader in one of those organizations, what kind of tools or pro tips would you recommend for me in order of, I want to communicate to my team members without those negative, let's call them egotistical or power moves or whatever. How would we approach that? Yeah. So rarely do I ever see someone in the C-suite in these for-profit, non-profit government organizations, however you, any type of organization we work with, I rarely see them say, oh, my mistake or my bad, or I screwed that up. And they often have, I should say we, they, whatever, humans that have power often have people around them doing a lot of head nodding. Of course, you're right. I thought so too. That's a great idea. So you want to be careful not to isolate yourself from people who are not yes people and people who are willing to disagree with you. But that's kind of how I got into consulting, Michael, because I was a corporate HR and training director in a pretty male-driven industry, construction and warehousing. Oh, goodness. And I loved my time. I loved my time doing that. But I actually did have some executives as a corporate director, and I'm around the C-suite, but I'm at the boardroom speaking my mind about what we need to do for professional development for employees, things like that, and our culture. And I was told, we'd walk down the hall and someone would say, you just disagreed with the CEO twice in that meeting. And I said, okay, well, that's a little much, don't you think? And I said, No, I did it respectfully. I'm representing our culture. I'm in human resources and training. I'm going to speak about how we could make our culture better. Well, yeah, but you disagreed with him. I didn't like that. I thought, oh boy, I don't know how long this is going to last. Right. It lasted until about 2004. I thought, I'm going to start a company because I think also when you're paying a consultant, you might be more willing to listen to the person down the hallway from you. And from the CEO's perspective, most CEOs, a good CEO, wants that perspective and doesn't want agreement all the time. That's one of the things I get when I get to meet a lot of CEOs when I'm traveling or speaking in an engagement. They ask me my opinion. And then when I give my opinion, they go, that's so refreshing to get actually told the truth. They could be seeding that behavior when they do performance reviews. One of the goals at the end of the review could be, I want you to disagree with me on a few things. I want to hear your original thought. That's a good point. I would like more candid feedback from you this year. Something we all enjoy, though. I mean, I don't love it when someone's like, would you like some feedback about how your training could be better? Right. Of course, 100% of the time. Yes, I would love some. Is love the right word? Right. It's more like I will tolerate some. Yes, please. Inside, I picture going like this. Oh, God, here it comes. I love what I do. It's taking the information, though, and not personalizing it, not taking it in a personal way. This is why it's a complex subject. I can see where you've spent a career and a lifetime on this because there's so many variables and our language is challenging all by itself or any language but now you throw in the communication variables and then as a man or a woman gender does matter when it comes to this you've seen this coming up through corporate in the corporate world when a man is assertive and he's strong and he's showing good leadership he's going wow what a great leader but when a woman does those same behaviors she's aggressive she's bitchy too much yeah too much much. we have all the paradigms are those paradigms are starting to break down though as more diverse humans gain access to more power and prop open the door to let others be considered i think we are becoming a more enlightened and inclusive society yep and that's probably easy for me to say 
but I've been objectified and left out <laughs> also. We just don't give up. And right. that's a place where courage is necessary. Mm-hmm. I had some early book reviewers comment about, which is wonderful, established authors reviewing it before final edits saying, sure. be careful here, Michelle, you're advising people find their voice and use your pro moves to overcome the four hidden challenges. But that could cost somebody a job or a relationship, et cetera. And that really helped me in the rewrites because I went back and remembered to talk about calculated risk and that we always have to assess potential good versus potential harm. And then I say, if you believe you're reasonably secure in giving something a shot and the worst outcome that won't knock you down too far, let's go for it. But that did help me remember that some of us have some advantages, others do not. Yeah, no, it's true. And you say that great communication is a full body, full mind and full heart effort. And how you're perceived when speaking and listening is a question we should all be asking ourselves. How are we being perceived, which is a real self-awareness issue? What does my best effort look like? How would you define that? Think of someone whose opinion is very important to you or who you look up to very much or love very much, or they're one of your favorite humans. And then let's imagine that you're not tired that day and that you're not annoyed by anyone. And now you have a chance to have lunch with them or have a phone call with them. And how do you speak to them? And now let's imagine that you've had six things go wrong and you have 10 projects overdue. And this person hasn't always been careful in their communication with you. And now they have stepped over the line in some way. If it's annoying to you, now how do you communicate? And I am describing myself. I cannot believe sometimes my tone. I really, I hear my tone and I think (laughs) I hate that. A lot of times they're very close to me. I'm trying to get rid of this word, obviously, because sometimes I will come across like I know more or I'm a better human and I am not Clearly. a better human than anyone else. <laughs> well, obviously, Michael, oh, gross. Like I just am working towards instead of waiting until the next day to go back and say, I'm sorry if I was rude yesterday. It was a bad day, but it's not an excuse. Now I'm trying to apologize same day. And again, you're talking to someone who 20 years ago thought apologies meant you're weak and you lose. So you, you couldn't squeeze one out of me. And now I realize, oh, owning up to one's mistakes as a communicator is actually courageous and strong. Like, I don't have enough time left in this life as a human being to get really good at this stuff. So none of us ever graduate from studying communication. Yeah. If somebody's direct with me, I'm like, why are you being direct with me? What did I do here? And whatever. They're trying to save you time. We're saving time when we're being direct. Yeah. They think you can take it. And my wife, she appreciates directness, but it's the tone. And sometimes we aren't mindful of our tone. So it's important. Well, another communication or a lot of our communication also happens non-verbally, body language and tone, as you're saying. So how do we need to adjust our communication when using text, let's say, or email so that we come across as we intend? I would love it if we as a species could all take a vow to reread once before hitting send. And that way we would also do ourselves a favor because we would look more intelligent. We are judged. Our IQ and our EQ is judged by the quality of our written communication. And so a lot of coaching clients I'm working with right now, one of their goals, I'll offer like six to seven goals per month in writing. They bless it. If they bless it, it's on. And then they're going to achieve those things in 30 days. A lot of them I'm asking, just send me three or four emails before you hit send, ideally, and be honest about wanting feedback so I don't feel bad. Ask me what could be better. And maybe I'll return it with nothing. Or maybe I'll return it with a few things in blue for you to consider. And in that way, just looking at one's writing style or having someone who is good at writing look at your writing, as I do. My company, we're in a constant state of passing around our documents, see if we can get them any more powerfully written, any shorter to save the reader time, your text recipients, your email recipients. It's all about reader understanding 
and service to the reader. And then you become someone, as you would say, who is emotionally preferred. Because if I have 50 emails today and I see one from Michael come through, I have a feeling about you and I'm going to open that first. And then you're going to get my action first. Summarize, reread and ask for an editor. Yeah, that makes sense. That's good. How do your communication tools that you outline in the book, and there's lots of exercises and lots of things for people to do, if they want to improve their personal and professional communication skills, this is the book. How do the communication tools apply differently, say, from a professional to personal relationships? Or do the same tools apply in both instances? I think with what we've chosen at the end of each short chapter, 10 chapters, we've chosen one pro move. And a pro move, besides being the name of my fantasy football team, which is what I stole it from. So that's my always losing <laughs> fantasy football team pro moves. And then there are pro moves in the book, little things that most humans walk on by that any human could try that might result in a better outcome for their communication. So we highlight one pro move and then we highlight one exercise. And the usefulness, I think, is both in personal and professional life. For example, one exercise might be ask someone that knows you well, one thing you do well as a communicator, one thing you could sometimes do differently or better. That's good for with our kids, our significant others, our bosses, our customer. That is so impressive to send to a customer. Hey, quick question. I'm reading this book. I listen to this podcast. Just really appreciate your business. If you want to respond, fine. If you don't, I understand, but I'd love to know just a plus delta. What's one thing I'm doing well? What's something you would have me change if you could? And then I like to give people a week, like by the end of the week. And what's helpful to your listeners might be that we're offering this to them as an assignment today. So they could say, I attended some online training or I listened right. to a podcast where I was dared. And so we're daring you to do that. Right. Oh, but I think, yeah, I think the whole book in each exercise within, because I realize some folks are retired, some folks are volunteers, some folks aren't in the work world. We definitely try to aim it towards better personal lives as well. Yeah, I think they're fully aligned. I think if we suck at it personally, we're going to suck at it professionally. Just, just we will. So it's <laughs> oh, like, I don't know. Well, it's like romancing our clients, right? If we can't romance our clients, we're certainly not going to romance our oh. partners. I'm talking about those connections, right? That's right. And because at the end of the day, that's what they are. The same emotions are being triggered. So to me, it's an interesting part. Let's talk about everyone's number one fear, public speaking. So in your book, you say public speaking is an antidote to hiding. Explain that one a little more. Sure. When we're hiding from risk, for example, all those eyeballs on us while we're presenting on video or in person or standing up at the kids' school meeting or church to read, all those opportunities that are pretty exhilarating. Wouldn't you like to give a toast at your friend's wedding? What about the friend who passes away and you're at the funeral and you'd like to say what that person meant to you? It's healing and it's giving at the same time. But so many folks become frozen with fear because they don't want to be judged. So they're hiding because they don't want to expose their supposed or real weakness. Many years I taught the intro to speech class at Purdue University and a COM 114 it's called. And I had some people in there who were seniors just about to get their degree and they couldn't get the degree until they took this freshman speech class, but they waited the whole time because they were hoping the requirement would go away or something. And when I would talk with them about, you know, this is a pretty fun class. You're gonna do 10 short speeches. I try to assign topics or have you choose topics that nobody's going to know better than you. So it's not like standing up and giving a presentation about something you don't know anything about. And they would say, well, my face turns red. Or when I hold my cue cards, my hands shake. shake. I'm self-conscious about how I look. I guess what we do then is we go forward knowing that fear will be there. And I kind of picture fear as like a big, scary monster that's just right over us, ready to pounce. And yet we start 
Thank you for your attention today to this important topic and the monster takes a step back and our face is red and our hand shakes a little. We take a breath and we go on to our next bullet point and we try to find some eyeballs in that audience that are looking at us with kind energy or supportive energy, right? Right. And we focus on what we know and we focus on the importance of the message and then we become just another thing in service to getting the message to the recipients. We got to believe in what we're presenting or find someone else to do it. And if you believe in what you're presenting, then there's nothing that can change this fact. You're going to get better each time you try. I watched a felon recently. We have a jail program here in Allen County in Fort Wayne, Indiana. We just started and it's called JCAP and it has to do with helping people who are in prison get past drug addiction so they can live a drug-free life when they're on the outside. And I thought one of the coolest things that I've ever seen done with presentations is we brought seven or eight of these guys to the beautiful downtown courthouse, invited all the news outlets, which I was thinking to myself, I'd be nervous. And they each had an opportunity to come up, get a certificate, having gone through the program and speak about who they'd like to thank and how it changed their life. Amazing. Fabulous. The, the courage they showed. One gentleman got up, was so grateful and maybe nervous, started to cry. We waited. No problem. We're on his side. Hey, everybody. Most audiences are on your side because when you succeed, we feel like we've succeeded. If it's authentic. Anyway, he went and oh, sat down. Yeah. Next guy got up. Just They kind of covered for each other. Before they concluded, he made sure that he had an opportunity to come back up. And he said, I have some things to say. There's no way I'm going to miss this opportunity. Here's who I want to thank. And my heart just swelled because even if we fail, we can stand back up and try again. As yeah. long as we believe in the message. Nothing you can do as a presenter that others haven't already Done. No, and it's amazing how it still hits you. I've given thousands of presentations, and I remember after the pandemic, we weren't working too much live audiences during the pandemic. No. But afterwards, I remember my first few engagements. I'm having shortness of breath. I'm feeling nervous. I'm going, oh my goodness, what's going yeah. on? And I forgot my breathing routine. So I bring in the Navy SEAL breathing, the four, six, eight, just yeah. some deep breaths. And I found I just wasn't catching my breath. And so it wasn't so much mm -hmm. nervous. I just wasn't breathing properly. And mm -hmm. I find that that really helps. Or if I know my material, then it's easier. So when you get those nerves, how do you combat the nerves of speaking in front of a crowd and present your message effectively? Like there was two things that I got out of that chapter in your book was how do you overcome those nerves? And the second point I want you to address, which I love this, I love your tip on creating a spice file, things that you could do. So if you are presenting- oh my Lord. Yeah. I, I'm sitting next to filing cabinets filled with these spice files. The spice file is take a topic that you might present in the future or you do present now. This is a 19 cent file folder from your local office store or right. big box store. And at the top of it, I'll write what that topic might be. Yeah. And then as I move through the world, somebody sends me a note. I read a comic that hits me as funny. My favorite team, one of the players on my favorite team says something funny in an interview. I don't even know how I'm going to use it. It just touched me. Right. And if it resonated with me, then it might resonate with somebody else in the audience. So when then I am preparing to present, I go flipping through my spice files and I pick something that I can somehow bring back around to the topic, which is the only caveat here is I see a lot of presenters think, oh, humor, right? I'll tell a joke. And they'll, they're there to do the fourth quarterly earning presentation. And they'll say, so man walks into a bar and there's a horse at the bar. And I think I love this guy already. I love this person already. They're already using humor. They care about us. Right. And they tell a joke and we laugh. And then it's like, so fourth quarter sales figures. And I think, wait, what? You have to tie these things together. Yeah. But you can tie a note from your grandma or anything to your presentation. And that shows a part of who you are. And we're immediately leaning more forward and more hooked. Yeah. There's only one you in all time. 
So you might as well bring a little bit of you to the presentation. Well, I think, and you've touched on it. I think if you're authentic, people resonate with authenticity and they know it when they see it. And they also know, hey, this isn't a fun job, but that's where they know it takes courage to do what we do. People come up and ask all the time, how do you do public speaking? How do you do this? It's my number one fear. And we've all heard the jokes around the Seinfeld episode. We'd rather be at our own funerals and, yeah. you know, in the coffin than speaking at it, right? So it's very interesting to me, the whole communication process. And so we've got the other thing we need to pay attention to, and you do this in the book as you talk about communication styles, whether you're an expressive, an amiable, or an analytical type personality or mm-hmm. a director type personality personality. How do we Mm -hmm. communicate with those styles? You talk about conflict and how do we handle conflict in stressful situations. I thought there was some really interesting strategies and tactics. And maybe let's just end with one of those. When we're in a stressful interaction, how can we manage that stress? Because that tends to escalate us a little bit or we get caught up in that moment versus particularly around holidays with families or different sensitive conversations. How do we de-escalate or what should we pay attention to in that interaction? One tip that I could share would be that as sophisticated as a species that we are, we still only have five ways that we can handle disagreement, spoken or unspoken disagreement. And that is you can compete to win, you can accommodate and decide to take a loss, you can compromise, you can collaborate, or you can avoid. And in the book, I help with that. There's a quick self-study about what type of conflict management style do we have? What is our preference? And then the pro move deviate. So I'm a very competitive person. So guess what? I'm trying to accommodate more. And I'm also trying to learn to avoid. In other words, if I'm mad at you right now, Michael, I might want to talk to you as soon as we're done with this recording. And that would make me feel better to get it off my chest right now. However, you might not be prepared to do that, have time to do that. And in that case, our interaction might not produce a positive result, right? Right. So I'm growing up as a communicator and maturing when I say, Would you have time to talk? I'll try to do it without rolling my eyes. Would you have some time to talk about this tomorrow, please? Right? Oh, hard, hard, hard. There are some folks who would rather put it off until a thousand tomorrows. And they could work on addressing things sooner. So poker players, I love poker. I love to play poker. It's a lot like poker. You have five cards in your hand. When there's conflict, choose which one to play. And then you won't be mimicking what your parents did or your step parents did. You won't be remodeling things that have been modeled to you. You'll be making a choice in the moment. No, yeah, this is a time to avoid, or this is a time to accommodate or compete, or let's shoot for collaboration or compromise. Those two, the whole world could use a lot more collaboration and compromise. They take a little longer because listening and sharing is required, but they end up with deeper, better relationships. And I'm sure that can impact sales as well. Absolutely. Well, you know, you talk about the importance of communicating. It's in every aspect of our lives and our ability to communicate effectively is an ongoing journey. Now, if people want to get hold of you, we're going to put all your contact information in the show notes, but Gladio Consulting, you help organizations, all types and sizes, use training and coaching to improve their workforce and their workplace and working with executives, everyone, you know, within that organization, they can find you on the website to find your book. And the book is Communicate with Courage, Taking Risks to Overcome Four Hidden Challenges. Challenge number one, hiding from risk. Number two, defining to be right. Number three, rationalizing the negative. And number four, settling for good enough. And it's a great read, lots of good examples, very practical. So if you're looking to improve your communication skills, highly recommend this book. Best place to find it. I always get mine on Amazon, but do you have any other references? Any independent bookseller or you go with the big dog Amazon. It should be available everywhere books are sold. The only thing I would add is that I found some courage to narrate it for Audible. 
I and that's that. my first time narrating a book. So I would be interested if anyone has any comments or suggestions for how I could do better. I would like to know that. I tried to slow down my rate of speaking. Sure. So it's not the usual 400 words a minute. Michelle's telling quick stories and tried to make sure I included the emotion I was really feeling into my voice. But that's a new one for me. And to be honest, it's a little hard to listen back to. But if others prefer to listen rather than read a paperback, it's available ebook or audible as well. Yeah, you want to read read with your ears. I do it all the time. Good multitask, working out or walking. And you make a good point. We should visit our local bookstores. Yeah. I love bookstores. And the big A is, is always good and convenient. But our bookstores, we need them to survive. So, sure. hey, really appreciate you being here. Again, congratulations on the book. I'm sure it'll be just a runaway success for you. So, Michelle Gladio. And we're talking about communication with courage. Thanks, Michelle, for being with us. Thank you. This podcast is created and associated with Summit Media. My production team is Beth Smith and Kendra Vickers. The fee for the show is that you share it with friends when you find something useful or interesting.